and welcome to I Was There, Conversations with Eyewitnesses to History. I'm Jeff Trujillo, and today we have a very special guest. We're going to be talking to Molly Barnes, who has just an incredible historical background, not only with Cal ties into California history, ties into entertainment, ties into art in a very big way. And today's going to be a little bit different show in that we don't have Ron Roberson here with us today. We have a name you'll probably recognize from our last episode, and that is Daryl Fuzaro, who's a good friend of mine. And so, Daryl, I first want to welcome you onto the show, and thank you for filling in for Ron, who's on vacation, by the way, and I, I hope he's having a, a fun time sunning and living it up wherever he's at. But thank you for stepping in and helping us out today. Well, thank you. It's going to be a pleasure because my history with Molly Barnes goes way back, so I'm really looking forward to this. So I'm actually grateful Ron decided to go on vacation this week. <laughs> yeah, it worked out really well. This is going to be a lot of fun because we didn't get into it in the last episode, but you are a pretty accomplished artist on your own. And I recently, you had a, a show and it was put on by Molly and I was able to come to that show and I was so impressed by the show that Molly put on and what I saw with your art and the way that she curated it. And then you were introduced me to her and in, in learning more about Molly, what a fascinating history she has. And you guys go back quite some time, I know, and you met not in Southern California, but what's your story? Well, uh, we met in a miraculous way in New York City. I had an art studio then at 41 Union Square and someone approached me, uh, a wheeler and dealer. I, 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 her name was Lindsay. I can't remember the rest of the details. But anyway, we crossed paths and she said, you know, there's a hotel in Midtown that hangs original artwork. And I have the curator's name and I think it'd be advantageous for you to get in touch with this person. And it turned out to be Molly Barnes. How wonderful. And uh, so Mo I went over there. Um, you know, with my slides, back then you had slides, you know, nothing was digital, so it took a little <laughs> bit more effort, but I went down there, I met Molly, and I think she tells the story even better than I do of how it all came about, but uh, she, in a, in a nutshell, gave me my first uh, show in New York City almost 30 years ago in a, an incredible location. It was her gallery on the corner of 47th and Lexington, and it was a huge success. And then serendipitously, once again, I moved out here and we bumped into each other through mutual friends that I had no idea she was friends with. And I'm like, Molly? She's like, Daryl? And uh, here we are today. And I'm just grateful to have known her all these years and especially now with the current shows she put up of my re most recent paintings titled Creative Recovery. That's amazing. It's amazing. Well, it is a great show and so well done. And without further ado, I mean, now that we've learned a little bit about you and how you met Molly, let's bring on Molly. So Molly, I want to thank you for allowing us to interview you today. And I'm so looking forward to learning more about your story and your history as you've had a front row to really, I mean, some of the greats in the art world. And what a fascinating story you have. So thank you for joining us. Thank you. So Molly, before we get into your art background, Daryl had been telling me, and you shared a little with me beforehand, your family history is just as fascinating as your art history. And so if you don't mind, tell me a little bit about, first, I guess it was your grandfather's brother, you said that ties into California history. Is that right? What's, what's it was my grandmother. Name? 
Uh, my grandfather was a shipbuilder. Uh -huh. Moore Drydock was the name of his shipbuilding company in Oakland. And he built ships and he always put happy faces on them. And then they had very elaborate goodbyes, you know, where they would uh, screw the bottle. They would hurt the <laughs> bottle. And, and uh, it, it was a big deal. And all the pictures, there's so many books about him. But he married uh, my my uh, grandmother, and they had three children, and um, they just, you know, they had a wonderful time. And my grandmother's brother was uh, Sonny Jim Rolfe, who was the uh, governor of California for 31 years, and also he was the uh, mayor of San Francisco. Amazing. And he died, and now people, I found this guy named Ed, and he has just played my grandfather in a movie. And uh, it's just uh, wonderful. He sent me so much stuff, so much information. That's amazing. Yeah. So what, going back, first of all, why did he put sh happy faces on the ships? I guess because he was a positive person. He, al <laughs> okay. he also built the uh, Jonathan Club here. Oh, And he okay. had all kinds of happy things there, too. Yeah. They might have taken them out. Sure. And then he, he was at the California Club, which is a men's club in, in uh, downtown Los Angeles. Okay. And I think that maybe there was some anti-Semitism or something there, and, mm. and he got it knocked out so that there was a book about the California Club. Without, oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. So now then your grandmother's brother, who was the governor of California, what was, I mean, if he was governor for 30 years, he 31. Must have, 31 years, he must have had huge accomplishments. What were some of the things? I should have brought you one of the books out rather than having me because I've just become interested. Oh, okay. I always thought, oh, this guy, you know, I'll never have anything to do with him. He died before, a year before I was born. Oh, okay. But uh, yeah, he did a lot of things. And mostly I think people loved him. They always called him Sonny Jim. Uh -huh. he, he lived out by the beach in San Francisco. And then he would drive to work every day at City Hall and pick up whoever was walking and give them a ride. He was very much a person of the people. Oh, wow. And a play is being done about his life? Is that correct? No, no. There's a movie that's just been oh, done, movie. and I can't remember who the producer was. Okay. But uh, they, they're talking about it, you know, and I know it's it's coming out right now. Right, yeah. right. Wow. So, well, we'll have to look for that. A movie about Sonny Jim, uh, <laughs> who was the governor of California. So we will definitely keep our eye out for that one. Also, so, the... Uh, when, when uh, they finished the uh, Oakland-San uh, Francisco Bay Bridge, they named it after him. And oh. I was at the Goodwill the other day where I love to shop in uh, near Beverly Hills. And all of a sudden I saw they were um, coffee mugs with his bridge. Oh, wow. And I just thought that was so cool. <laughs> what what a, what an incredible coincidence that you tell would find that. I could the goodwill. No one <laughs> good cared. Will, right? Yeah. Right? That's amazing. Well, so now I think I was telling you earlier in preparation for this I listened to some interviews because you've you've done so many things during your career. You you have a radio show, you've been on television, you've written books, you've owned galleries both in New York and California. You've done it all and you you've done it on a lot of different mediums, which is really incredible. And so going back though, let's go to the beginning. How did you become introduced to art? And how did that become an interest of yours? My dad uh, was a, an executive at Paramount. He was in ch charge of the story department. He worked for Hal Wallace before that. He had been a Rhodes Scholar from Texas, grew up without a father, oh. and was obsessed with work. He was, uh, he was very smart. But um, my mother was a society lady, you know, she never did, I mean, I don't think she ever went in the kitchen. And they had a lot of money and uh, she uh, married my dad and she was kind of a snob, you know, she thought I should, I mean, the idea that I wanted to be in show business of any kind just drove her to, you know, distraction. 
And uh, she wanted me to go be in the junior league or probably, she didn't like nuns, but she would have liked it if I was just, you know, there. And I wanted to have fun. Yeah. And I was always kind of a wild kid, you know, and I think, I, I, I talked to a therapist in New York and he said, that's why she didn't like you because your dad liked you so much. Because she didn't, you know, she wanted to control everything. And uh, so it was hard for her to let go of the reins. And I thought to get away from her, she would never have let me have my own apartment or anything in Los Angeles after college. So I thought I'll go to New York and I'll find somebody to help me there. And then I'll get back on top uh, the way I was in college and high school. Uh -huh. And so I got on the plane to go and I had a setup with Fanny Holzman, who was a leading theatrical lawyer. George Bernard Shaw was one of her clients. Wow. And uh, I asked if I could stay at her house on Madison and 64th until I found my own place. And uh, so I got on the plane and there was this really good looking guy sitting next to me. And uh, he was older and I found out, you know, in the six hours of talking to him that he had been married a lot of times, and I thought, I'll marry this guy. You know, it's not going to be hard to get him if he's had all these wives. And so when I got to Fanny's house, you know, and I flirted and flirted with him, and I was still a virgin. And uh, when I got to Fanny's, I said, you know, I, I fell in love with a man on the plane that I think I, I may marry. And uh, she said, who was that? I said, well, he's the head of CBS radio. And she said, What's his name? I said, Howard Barnes. She said, we'll get him for you. And she did. I mean, wow. she just started inviting everything, you know, wow. the George Bernard Shaw <laughs> concerts, everything. And I got him really fast. But the problem was he was mean and he used to take out his uh, aggressions on me. Oh. He was very popular with Bill Paley, but uh, some of the others didn't like him that much. And he was extremely attractive. So he started taking out his dissatisfaction on me uh -huh. and I went to a therapist we were we were we were transferred out here from San Francisco he was from New York and uh, we went to uh, something and uh, uh, we met this therapist and I went to talk to the guy and uh, he said I'm gonna give you two bits of advice one I, I think you should get rid of that husband because he's gonna kill you and two you're gonna lose yourself if you don't get rid of this guy but it was just so cool because the guy really straightened me out. Sure. So I did. I went to a good lawyer and uh, got rid of him. Well, thank goodness. But you, grew, having grown up in the entertainment world and then being married to somebody in the entertainment world, what was that like? I mean, you kind of walked amongst Hollywood and New York celebrity. Like and... my dad's friends loved me. I was young and they wanted to put me in various things. And I auditioned for Otto Preminger, a number of people, and he offered me a part in, oh, I, uh, that Rosemary Clooney, uh, Bing Crosby book, White Christmas. And I, I just remember my mother was so against anything like that, that I, I sort of lowered my, st I didn't uh, really try because I was afraid. And that's what I thought if I could get away from her and get away from Los Angeles that I'd have a better chance of, of uh, making my own life. Mm -hmm. And then when I thought, when I got this great guy from CBS, who wasn't, it, uh, that it would help me too, to have somebody with a little power. Yeah. Um, and then I got a job in Summerstock and uh, Fanny Holzman's brother, David, uh, David Holzman, owned all the Summerstock companies on the Cape. So I got my picture in Life Magazine and everything. They, you know, they were really, it was so much fun. And uh, I, I got to know all the showbiz people in New York through that connection. Oh, fun. What was that like? Oh, fascinating. I mean, it was just fascinating. And we, you know, we all had so much fun. 
And then I really wanted to get uh, in. Oh, and then he bought me a place in East Hampton from Barney Rossett. Do you remember Barney Rossett, Grove Press, Evergreen Review? Name and he was married familiar. to Joan Mitchell, a famous artist. Yes. And uh, we bought a house from them. It had been an old barn, and Barney had it moved to a, a little place he was developing in East Hampton. And then we, uh, you know, moved in. And that's where I got fascinated by the artists. And Barney wanted to make a place for me and for where uh, it would be like a little museum in the middle of East Hampton. Now, what's his name's doing it? And it's, uh, it's great, but uh, you know, he wanted me to have the opportunity to get to know all these artists. Right. So I got to know them all at parties and they were all famous. They're all, I have a picture in the other room of all the artists. And the one I really wanted to meet was Bill de Kooning, Willem de Kooning. And I asked if uh, uh, his one of, I met one of his assistants at a, at a party and I said, I'd really like to meet your boss. And he said, well, since Pollock died, Jackson Pollock, I, uh, Bill doesn't drive. So if you want to meet him, I, we go and pick up his mail every morning at 9.30 at the post office. So if you stand in front of the post office and he sees you and thinks you're cute, maybe you, you can meet him that way. So for three days, I stood in front of the post <laughs> office. And the third day, the truck pulled up and he saw me there and called me over. And then Bill invited me for lunch because he loves stories about Hollywood. And so he invited me for lunch. And then uh, the guy, the assistant, John McMahon, said... I guess he was trained to get to go away when Bill would find a good-looking person. So he said, uh, um, I have a lot of errands to run. Do you think you could possibly drive Bill home to his home? I moved right in. I mean, I just, <laughs> yes, I can. I think I can do that for you. And I learned the whole history of contemporary art through him. Yeah. Because he was the pivotal person after Pollock died. Everybody wanted to know him and everybody wanted to know his stories and who was going to make it and who was good. And he built a big house for himself, which is still there now in East Hampton. Huge house. Right. And so this is a history um, podcast. And like myself, I'm an art novice. I know less than enough to be dangerous. But if you could describe for us, because he's considered one of the great American artists. Can you describe what his art represented and why he was so important in the art world? Because every new art movement, which is usually every 20 years, maybe shorter time, but every 20 years it changes. And the people before him have been very uh, European and very interested in dark and light. And what he wanted was a lot of color. And he also loved doing figurative uh, pictures of women. The, uh, he, he did a lot of women at the beach and a lot of women uh, fishing. And he sort of abstracted it so it fit in with what he was after, which was a historic uh, abstraction. And he could talk better than anybody. He had uh, been raised in Holland and then uh, snuck aboard a ship and came here. And he always operated. And then he mm -hmm. came and built his own house and everything. And he married a woman named Elaine de Kooning. And uh, they were separated when I found him, but they got back together later, and she was so much fun. I mean, she I, it took her a long time to even acknowledge I was around. But her brother worked for him as his chef and cook so that he, the, the brother could get rid of anybody that was uh, interfering with his, with uh, Elaine's position with Bill. And so with, it, with his, the circles that he walked in, like you said, you must have met... Everybody. Everybody in the art world. Yeah. I mean, that's incredible. How did you figure out what you liked as far as 
art? I mean, you said you learned the history of art basically through him, but how did you develop your own taste and style and to where you eventually would be able I started to studying artists. with a man named Athos Zacharias studying painting myself and Bill knew him quite well and I remember one time I said to Bill why don't we go see a friend of mine I didn't tell him where we were going and we went over to Zacharias and Zacharias start practically fainted when the, the great man came to his door you know he didn't know what to do he was but uh, I sort of learned from that teacher how to make judgments about what was good and what was fake and where people had copied other people where they shouldn't have bothered. I mean, they were a lot of people, you know, became second generation copiers. Sure. And then then the next movement that broke out was uh, um, pop. Mm -hmm. And so Warhol had a huge, enormous following with that group. You know, he was rebelling against everything, all of this abstract expression stuff, which they all went back to later. I mean, you look at Warhol's books and you see that he went back, you know, when he had his first retrospective at the Museum of Modern Art. But they all, you know, tried to go out and do their own thing. And then when pop artists really came in and, and concentrating on parts of the body, which is what, what Warhol did, mm -hmm. that started the new movement. You know, obsession with body and realism. Right. And so you weren't classically educated in school about art. You were learning from the artists themselves. Oh yeah, Larry Rivers was another one. He wasn't quite a pop artist, but uh -huh. he was a, a realist, but he was a big leader because he had enormous, pop, he had a wonderful personality. Sure. So back in those days, you were meeting artists who were established. And oh, you were totally. And you were meeting artists who were beginning. How did you know? I didn't bother. You didn't bother? No. I mean, if you like somebody, you'd pay attention to them. Even today, you know, people call me. We we have a friend that should, you know, oh, yeah, oh, good. It'll be such a joy to meet them. Uh, but, you know, you want to get with the people that can help you up the ladder. Uh -huh. So that's sort of superficial the way you, uh, if they're very good looking, you pay attention to them. <laughs> and you also pay attention to them if they have some things to say. But mostly you are going after the big the, you know, the, the people with the big names uh -huh. or the people that were seductive. And so is it more about when you're meeting somebody, I guess it's more about personality, looks, or art? Oh, totally art. So it always goes can, back to the oh, art. Oh, yeah. And they, okay. can, they can draw you in by, by a few sentences where you know they have something you can learn from. And, uh, you know, that's what you do at Bill's. Like if there were people there, you could see almost in a second how he was treating them and then you'd sort of step in to... Uh, take over or to uh, listen. Okay. Because there's a place called Miller's and it was where we all had our breakfast every day out there and you'd ride your bike, Bill always rode his bike, or we'd go there to have breakfast. And uh, then uh, they they didn't have, uh, well, they Jackson would buy his stuff there. And so they started, uh, but they didn't have the money or somebody didn't have the money and they couldn't, uh, sell Jackson, but they finally, you know, made a trade. And so for years in the Miller uh, pharmacy and, and uh, restaurant, which is still indoor, outdoor, and we still go there, uh, they would, uh, you know, all take advantage of, uh, of the artists. If they needed booze, they'd trade them for something. So that... <laughs> and so the artists, when they come together, so, Daryl, can you imagine kind of being in a location with all these, these names and from what the artists I know, they're, they're a little competitive. And so, you know, when the arts, artists are coming together and are they, are they inspiring each other? Are they competing against each other? What kind of, what's the environment? Robert Motherwell like? had a church that became his home. 
and it was a, an old church that had been moved there and he made it into a home. And I was invited there to a party that he was having and he was married to, oh, so many of the really good art, art women. And uh, so when I went, Bill de Kooning was there and I could see he was the most powerful person, this is before I met him, mm -hmm. that he was the most powerful person in the room because everybody was trying to get near him at the fireplace and he was short so you just see this crowd around him. And finally I went over and he looked down and he said, nice legs. And then, <laughs> and then sort of let me go. And I, but I felt, oh God, I got enough. And then I watched him as he left with his little entourage. And uh, he said something to me again. I thought, we'll, we'll definitely meet again. But everybody wanted to be close to him uh -huh. because he knew how to get rid of people and he knew what to do. And so the others who were fighting over position would kind of line up behind him because he would sanction where they were in the art world. And it was really based on talent. Interesting. Yeah, it wasn't based on personality. And then I went once to a, a thing where they had, uh, they were making American flag out of all of the art, top artists did parts of the American flag. And that was fabulous. And they were each doing their little square, or their, and Bill was there, and I remember watching that and thinking these people are all playing to him. And you're, Daryl, you're nodding. Are you familiar with that, with that show, or with? That? I'm not familiar with that show, but I'm familiar with a lot of those flags that came out. I'm assuming came out of that show. Yeah. There's a lot of that was like a big. Uh, who did all? Uh, Jasper Johns did the flag. Um, who else? Rauschenberg. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Seth. Well, weren't they roommates? The two. Yeah, did, they were. They yeah. were lovers. And then uh, Leo Castelli worked. Uh, had uh, Ivan Carp working there, and Ivan found one of them and made a studio visit to see uh, Rauschenberg. And Rauschenberg said, "There's a guy upstairs on the third. They they had this old bank they'd taken over in Soho." And he said, there's somebody upstairs I think you should see. It was John's. Oh, wow. And they, it, so he went up there with, uh, with some of the other people. And uh, they see, saw that what was happening then, that Jasper was introducing subject matter back into the work. Everybody was painting this totally abstract stuff. And he was putting numbers in and, and, and sayings. And even today that's been copied, like what Ed Ruscha the artist does mm -hmm. today is all uh -huh. those cliches he sticks in the painting right in front of a, you know a, a band of color and so how did you come to get your first gallery then because you eventually you kind of transitioned into going oh into when business, I when right? I wanted to, I had to come back here by that time that that husband had moved back here and mm -hmm. I, I my parents were here and everything and so I decided I'd come back here and the winter and, and live and I uh, started uh, really going to the galleries. And then one day in the LA Times, I saw an ad. It, it said they, they needed somebody to work in the gallery. Huh. And so I went down there that day and got the job. And then I remember my first day at work, a guy came in and he had something under his arm. And, and there were Billy Wilder was there. There were people looking to buy the art. The director, the, the great producer-director. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, uh, he, he was holding on to this stuff. And Billy said, what is that under your arm? And he said, it's some art that I want to sell that I did. And he pulled this terrible stuff out. But, I mean, he had done himself. Uh -huh. But everybody could see that there was a way to sell the art. And I remember Billy, you know, jumping right on that. He started collecting, I think, that day. So you were able to then tie... I started learning as much as I could about the L.A. art scene here uh -huh. today. And after I worked for him, I asked somebody, is there anything for rent? And they said, yeah, there's one right next to John and Pete's liquor store. 
and uh, the guy that owns it, uh, it was the, the framers, Manny Silverman and uh, his partner. Oh and uh, they said, go down to their frame shop and see if you could, and I went down there and rented the, the place. Oh, this wow. was in Los Angeles? Yeah, it was really, really cool. The first show I had was, uh, they're both on, on my wall. And then Frank Roth was the second one. And then uh, somebody walked in the gallery and said, would you look at my work? And I said, yes, I would. He had a little trailer and he came in with this art. And I didn't understand it, but I, I thought he was into something. It was all writing. This is not to be looked at with a picture of uh, Art Forum magazine. And uh, it was uh, John Baldessari. Baldessari, yeah. And I knew that something was really good about this. And the first poster we sent out for his announcement, uh, he brought in this photograph somebody had taken of him on National City property. And there was a palm tree coming out of his head. I mean, it was a bad photograph. The guy didn't know how to take pictures. Uh -huh. And so we used that, and then the title was wrong. You know, and it Perfect. And, yeah. And yeah. it's still around. I don't think, I have one in a scrapbook, but it, there's one at the Museum of Modern Art right now, and our museum here, uh -huh. of that poster. Because it was so, uh, it was so new and every, and then he started making his name by using words. Right, and I, another great, eventual became one of the one of the greats. And so was that his first show? Yeah. You did his first show? Yeah. How did you decide? And that's in all the Baldessari books, yeah. uh, books, the picture of me showing him around. How did you decide, how did you make the decision that I'm gonna give this guy a show? Uh, a, a poet told me to look at the work. And the underground, he was teaching at, Cal, at, at uh, Northridge. And somebody uh, said, I think you should look at this guy because he was changing students' ideas. And so when he came in that day with this little thing, I, I uh, paid attention. I wouldn't have if n nobody had uh, told me. Sure. I'm just, I'm Eric Fischel was the one I was trying to think of. He, one day I said to him, Eric, uh, it's such an honor meeting you. And he said, I used to sweep your, you know, your, your gallery when I was in college. I was at Art Center. And he's just built his first museum in East Hampton. Oh, wow. Yeah, and it's amazing. Wow. And so you knew these guys right from the beginning. Yeah. Then. That's amazing. For you to have the intuition and foresight to know these artists that have something to say and something to show. Yeah. And then to give them that opportunity. But you, what happens with those people before the thing where you said, didn't they start fighting? You'd ask them, who are your five favorite artists? leave yourself out and they would give you five names and they always coincided mm. that they everybody in that group knew who was going to make it everybody knew who they should pay attention to huh. so, so there was a real cadre of people who believed in certain people that changed and then you talked about the infighting that came later but superior ones were a head and shoulders above uh, uh, the ones that you know, we're putting them down. Yeah. Now, as a, as a gallery owner, you said that, for instance, you, you know, you had Billy Wilder and you, as a gallery owner, you have to find clientele and collectors. So you kind of have to massage the artists, but then you also have to massage the collectors. I don't think you massage those. artists. You do in person and you sleep with them or you do this and that, but you don't, the way you massage collectors is very different. And the one that we all went to was Bob Rowan, Robert Rowan. And he was the, uh, the head of the Pasadena Museum. And he lived in Pasadena, a great deal of money, came from a big man moneyed family. And uh, I, I just knew instinctively to kiss up to that family. So I started dating his brother, <laughs> Lou Rowan. And uh, Lou Rowan liked me and I just 
didn't let go. And we were all invited to go to New York. There's a picture of it right up there uh, with Buzz Aldrin right behind you. Oh. Dick Van Dyke, Buzz Aldrin. Dana Andrews. Yes. Wow. And so we were all invited to go to New York and that, that guy, uh, Lou Rowan, took me. And uh, so I, I just knew how to get close to people like that. that could, I, I didn't care so much about what they looked like or anything. I just wanted to get near some powerful people. Yeah. And so really the, the entertainment world and the art world kind of, kind of shadow each other, don't they then? I don't know. I don't, I, that's too soon to say. Right now they are. Like, who's everybody's hiring now? What's, the guy with the Italian name. Leon, Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah, DiCaprio. Yeah. Everybody wants to get, everybody now wants him in their, collect, er, wants him in their circle. Mm -hmm. I mean, every day you hear his name someplace. Oh, Leon, yeah, blah, blah, was here. Yeah. And so then how did you get to New York then? Because you started, so you, you started here. And then uh, well, I started here. Then I went to New York. I married that guy. Then when that marriage broke up, I uh, came back here full time to work. And I, I got that gallery I was just telling mm -hmm. you about. Mm -hmm. And then I would make the trips to New York every month. So I kept both things going. Then I bought an apartment there and everything. Gotcha. And so how's the how's the art world in New York? Oh, different? and then and then also I saw again within the New York Times uh -huh. an ad for somebody to go to this hotel and become an art leader and that again was me and I so I've worked there for about 17 years in that hotel wow and you still you, you were saying you still have it there yeah right? yeah 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 and that's where he had his show that's where that's where you met Daryl and yeah and you yeah. guys did your show what was that show like what was what was that experience like Daryl it was incredible I wasn't even sure what I was quite getting into at the time but I was pleasantly surprised when I walked up to the gallery and it was packed with people <laughs> When the exhibition started, I was like, oh my goodness, the lights were on, there were people inside, packed, packed. That's great. Well, you know, Molly's still doing that because yeah. when I went to your show last week, it, it was packed. Yes. There was a lot of people there. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, how, do you, how do you guys see the art world in New York? Is it different than the art world in Los Angeles? 100% different. What's the difference? Energy. Energy. Energy and sophistication. People here, it takes them years to make a decision on the art, and then they have to go through it all. And there's really no, uh, Frank Pearls was a leader and had a certain point of view, but uh, there was no, uh, nothing like New York with Costelli. Uh -huh. He had to be near Costelli to get attention. Yeah, he was, you know, on downtown and mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. So, so you had clientele in New York. You, you were saying they make their decisions faster. They. they oh my of, God! Yes. Yeah. What? What? Why do you think that happens? What? Because the transportation is much easier there to you know, get around, and everybody's really interested in the art. Uh huh. Here, people are still. Oh, I don't know if they. You know, I don't know. If they, yeah. How are the artists different on the East Coast versus the moving West Coast? much faster and with less emotion? Hmm. Uh, you know, people just make decisions fast where they want to be aligned in New York. The museums play along with them and, and support them in their desire for a show or a retrospective. And here it just it, it hasn't come to fruition like that. Um, Molly, I think it's fascinating how, although out here, this is the thing, maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, but... I think it's advantageous for people like yourself, especially you as an art dealer in Los Angeles, because the people out here seem to need help and 
for choosing the artwork in their homes and they rely on people like you to help them. Like you have a story about Norman Lear, uh, Steve Martin. Why don't you share your Norman Lear, how you connected with him and put together his collection? Uh, Norman Lear, somebody came to me, Dick Dorso, he owned a, a men's fashion uh, store in Beverly Hills and he had been the producer of the Doris Day show. He was a ladies man. And he came to me one day, he hung out. Oh, and his daughter was working for me. And uh, he, he came to me one day, he said, Norman Lear would like to meet you and maybe you could give him some help. He wants to do a, a, a TV series on a, somebody like Tony Berlant, who was an artist here. And he'd like to uh, really talk about how couples have problems in love affairs when they're artists. Because they don't have the rules like marriage and all that. They don't know how to do it. And so uh, could you take Norman out or spend 20 minutes with him one day? So I, I went to his studio. He had that Audrey, uh, what was his name? What was the, the cowboy actor? Gene Autry? It's Gene, Gene Autry. Autry. He had that, that place on, on Hollywood Boulevard next to the bowling alley. And uh, so I went there and I was introduced to him and he had this big, big office. And then I, I burst out crying. And he came around, put his arm around me. He said, you could have longer than 20 minutes. So, because he wanted me in and out. Oh. It was, he had seven shows on the air then. Uh -huh. And, uh, you know, I didn't think I cried to get that attention, but I did. I mean, and so uh, he said, we'll go out every Thursday and buy art. And uh, you take, you'll take me to the places where you think I should buy. And so Dick Dorso and I took him out. We, I would plan the schedule and call the artist, say, Dick Dor uh, Norman Lear wants to see your work. And uh, it, 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 I'd have seven people every, every Thursday. And then he would buy. And I remember Norm, uh, uh, we were just looking at George Herm's work. I remember he was so impressed with George's work. And uh, well, everybody. Oh, and then he had a party for all these people I'd introduce him to. And, uh, Ken Nolan, who's a famous artist, uh, I brought him. So uh, Norman met um, Ken Nolan, and Ken Nolan had bought Robert Frost's house in Vermont, and Norman bought it from Ken. Huh. And uh, that gave him a place to take people for the weekend when he was trying to sell them something. They'd have to go to Vermont and they'd get stuck up there. <laughs> and he never invited me there. I was never invited. But I did hang on for a long time and, you know, made a name for myself. That was one of the big, you know, selling things when people, oh, yes, yeah, she's with Norman Lear. Right. Yeah, that was a big deal for people. So when you cultivate a collection for a client, for, you know, how, how do you go about that process? How do you, well, what do Joan, you do? I have my best friend, or one of my best friends, a girl named Joan Mackey. She was a Marlboro girl. Her family owned us Hershey's or something, Hershey's chocolate. And they lived on Mapleton. And uh, so my husband and I took, she and her husband, who was rich, uh, every another day. This was after Norman Lear. And I'd take them to all the best places that, um, that I thought that they could make the most money and also get the best deal. Well, I, I didn't stress money, but mm -hmm. the, the, they would, everybody would turn to them. So when your clients are collecting art, and you're you said you're taking them to the best places. Yes. Are they investing in it or are they collecting it just because they like it? No, What's no, never. That would never happen. What's their motivation? Money. Okay. It's, I mean, it's way down the line. Nobody's ever said that. But uh, I, I, I watched Norman how he would do it. He would, and then after I left him, 
Rauschenberg came in and took over and built the whole, rebuilt his whole uh, living room. One wall made it into a New York City scape. You could sort of tell by the questions he asked that he, would, he wanted a good deal. And he was paying a lot of money for this stuff. Sure. But he, he wanted to make sure that he got the best people. So I did write an article about Norman and how I trained him to look at art in The Hollywood Reporter. And uh, that was, you know, that was just taking in place. He could read, he could read much faster than I could if somebody was a phony or if, mm -hmm. if it was somebody to pay attention to. So in your mind, what do you think are the qualities that make a great artist? And what are these collectors and what do you look for in somebody that's coming to you and maybe starting out? Pain. Uh, I think pain is really important in people because we, we're living through so much subterfuge today, and we have been, and uh, nobody wants to admit it. Everybody seems to have worked out generalizations to get them through this. And I think uh, people who are very honest about it but leave themselves in the circle. Frank Stella was one of the great thinkers. It was a, a combination of, uh, of subterfuge and uh, innocence. So for anybody, any layperson such as myself or anybody who's listening today, when they go and they look at art, what should they look for? How do they know? I'd go with somebody who knows more than they do. And so for your own taste, what do you like when you, I mean, you're, you have a beautiful collection of your own. I, mean, I think I go for the personalities. Uh -huh. Like I love Bill. I love Peter Alexander. I loved uh, Warhol. I loved Ellsworth. Um, I, I, now I, I think I'd go more for the written word, like you gave me a piece, and it, mm -hmm. uh, it's in the, in the other room, and you saw it. It's a lot of writing about your mind, and I, I think I'd go for that, because I think people are now looking for some sort of uh, um, something that works in their thinking, because we don't quite know what to do. I think Frank Stella was always a leader. You know, he always did abstract a very hard edged things, but there was something about him. And now every building you go to in New York, he's always in the lobby. You know, right. people bought his stuff when he was still coming up. Yeah, yeah. So and that's so. Since you referenced your work, Daryl, what tell me? Tell me kind of your approach to what you're doing these days and what what your work's about. Well, my approach, uh, you know, that this new approach that I'm started was it's about two and a half years in the making that I've been working like this and it's almost I'm having almost a dialogue with other artists work and then it takes on its own personality through my interpretation of that and I'm using like Molly just referenced you know we're on a podcast so I'll have to describe it but words um childlike uh, overlay drawings that seem very innocent but draw you in and then you could sit with maybe a deeper uh, realization or interpretation. Yeah. But uh, yeah, and I'm really, uh, you know, art as from an artist's point of view, uh, the thing is you have to, although you, I'm inspired by many different artists. Who? Name one. Um, Ed, 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 Ed Ruscher, Ed okay. um, Larry Rivers. I mean, these are older people. Those are older artists than the newer. But I think a lot of the newer artists are copying a lot of what oh, they totally, did. Oh, totally, yeah. Yeah, so Larry Rivers, uh, Rauschenberg, all these guys had a big influence on me. I met Larry Rivers through Molly, which was an incredible experience. I also met uh, Roy Lichtenstein through Molly, and he came to my 
studio at 41 Union Square. Mm. Yeah, this was crazy. He just happened to be walking by. I had my door open because it's so humid and hot. We were on the eighth floor <laughs> and I had a fan. He walks by. He comes back. I wasn't sure who he was. And he comes in. I go, oh, my God. <laughs> like This guy's like, you know who yeah. he is. Oh, he, sure, sure. Yeah, the so he came guy. in. Yeah. And he took the time. He was looking at all my artwork. He, we had a nice discussion about it. But uh, these guys really had a big influence on me, I think, because I was interested in art in an odd way as a young person. Um, most of the other kids were like collecting baseball cards and playing sports. And I was always into uh, big coffee table art books. So uh, I think that's influenced me enough. But this is the thing I want to get across. It's although you're influenced and possibly inspired, it's. You have to go with your intuitive uh, sense. Like I can't go, oh, I'm going to make this like a Rauschenberg. Or I'm, I mean, or mm -hmm. what do I think people want? I got to throw all that out of the, my brain and just go with the, uh, like, uh, the intuitive, um, the uh, design spirituality, that intuition that comes up. And I just heard that word from the great designer, Archie Boston. But... Uh, yeah, it's about having the, 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 be able to risk this, this might not, people might not like, but I'm going in this direction because I could feel the thrill it gives me to do it. When I saw Molly about five or six months ago and she turned to me, we were at her house, I wandered in here, I was walking in the neighborhood and I go, I think this is where Molly lives. I called her and she said, uh, Daryl, I said, yeah. She goes, oh, are you coming in? I said, I guess so. And I came in with a friend of mine and we looked at all the artwork and I could sit in her house for hours and just be inspired yeah. uh, by all the artwork in here in a different room on a different day. It's, an, for... it's incredible. And Molly, I think it was really generous of you to open up your home to the other day to that when, when you had Daryl's show and, and let people enjoy your art. Yeah. I mean, it's just what a gift to, to share that with, with the public and, and with folks. It's, it's amazing. I yeah, mean, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's incredible. But the big thing I want to say is, so then Molly turned to me and asked, so what are you doing now? And uh, I was a little nervous because I know, and this is something I want Molly to know, is something I appreciate about her. I knew when I was about to show her my work on the phone, Molly's going to give it to you straight. Mm -hmm. It may sting a little if it's not what you want to hear, <laughs> but I respect that because then I can move on. Yeah. Move on. So because a while back, she told me something about a piece I was working on and said, this is negative. You shouldn't <laughs> be doing this. And I didn't heed her advice. And I did it. And it went nowhere. And it created it was just an uncomfortable situation. So when I showed her this work, I was ready, you know, and she went, you did this. And that's a good sign. <laughs> and then I said, yeah. She goes, wow. And I showed her a few more. And she said, brilliant, nice. Wow, this is... So we made an arrangement for her to come see this work in person. And here we are today. I'm forever grateful. I mean, she's one of the... She's one of the blessings in my life to have crossed paths with her. Not only for this show, but also, I just want to say, in New York City, Molly would conduct which I think you may or may not still be doing, these brown bag lunches at the Roger Smith Hotel. What was it, twice a month? Yeah. Twice a month on a Friday. Fridays. 
And she'd invite, you know, new artists or people. And I met Peggy Guggenheim's granddaughter at one of these. And they'd be these small, intimate get-togethers. There was a brown bag lunch included. You know, just a brown bag lunch. And we'd sit. And she would have these, these icons of the art world come in to talk. I mean... That's where Larry Rivers, that's where I met Larry Rivers was at one of these talks. I mean, I'm literally sitting 10 feet away from Larry Rivers. And then afterwards, it was like talking to someone you talk after, you know, at a, a friendly dinner party. Right. And we're talking and exchanging ideas. And it was incredible. So I have that to thank her for. Many, many of those brown bag lunches. I met Marcus Stavi through Molly. She would have, we would have these uh, every once in a while. Uh, the owner of the hotel would throw a penthouse party. Molly be you know it would be Molly and her entourage, which is you know thank God I was invited, <laughs> you know. And a friend of mine, Hugo Bastidas, is another art, very well known artist. So when you today. had these get-togethers, what was that like? I mean, was it were they just friendly or exchanging? Ideas no, but we always what? had a guest speaker yeah, who spoke guest for speaker. half okay. an hour, and I organized that. I'd say over time, that's it. But I'd get them up there. I'd get really good people, and it was the same kind of group that was here the other night that you were so impressed with. Yeah. People crowded in there, all talking art. Yeah. So you're, you're educating people by bringing in artists and, and having yeah. people hear it right from yeah. right from their, their Pe- own mouth. Yeah. Betsy Baker, she was the editor of Art in America. Yeah. I mean, they were always top people. Yeah. People that you're sitting like next, you're sitting like within 10 feet, five feet listening to an icon in the art world, and then no one was pretentious. None of these people Molly invited, I think maybe because she doesn't like, those type I of hate people. pretension, yeah. yeah. Not one of these artists, no matter how high up, or art dealers, or like she said, the editors of these magazines, no matter how high up they were in the art world, the ones she always brought would, would talk to everybody. It was like you were talk, like <sighs> us talking right here. It was incredible. That's, right. That's amazing. It was incredible. That's people amazing. still talk about those brown bag lunches. Wow. Yeah, yeah so you've been a gift both to to the artists, but also to to the, the public and those that were able to attend and, and, yeah. and experience those Oh, things. my God, yes. That must give you a thrill to introduce... No, I haven't thought about it till tonight. <laughs> no, <laughs> thank so you. It's but to be able to, Yeah, but to be able to introduce folks like that and kind of connect dots and, and then share your love of art yeah. with... with uh, but I, I kept myself oh. out of it. I just run the machine or, or uh, make sure people got water. Mm-hmm. And and the uh, the you know the engineers there at the at the uh, hotel would run everything. No, it was fabulous. Yeah, how interesting. Yeah, that's another thing, Molly. She never made it about her. It was never yeah, like Molly's thing. It's amazing. I like that's what was incredible. Who is this lady? Yeah, yeah. You know. She, well, and and you've been able to do it on both coasts. Yeah, which is amazing. I heard in one of your interviews that you said that. Um, for an artist to make it big, they have to make they have to make a big splash. They have to do something dramatic. Exactly. That's what I've been trying to reach today. Yeah. yeah. What What are some of the things you've seen art, artists do? If you, maybe if you could think of a couple okay, things you've Larry, seen. Uh, not Larry Rivers. Frank Stella. Mm-hmm. Uh, the um, absolute abstraction with no brush strokes. The idea that somebody would get out there and just do something that looks so mechanical and not use any kind of emotion at all. That was one. Uh, Larry Rivers uh, reworking all of the people he knew around him and giving them different 
heads or different bodies, but it was always the same cast of characters. Uh, yeah, de Kooning was always sexual. And so, like you were saying, Daryl, you don't want to copy anybody, you have, but it has to come basically from within and, and develop something that's unique and it's going to make a splash, but that's, it comes from inside you. Yeah, it's a risk. You could feel it's a risk. When it's right, I feel it's a risk. When it's not right, I, f I feel like I'm just regurgitating something, which we all do when we're young. Yeah. You know, we're young, we're influenced, and then we try, ooh, this, uh, we make things that are copies, not really copies, but they are. I, I mean, I'm guilty, I was guilty of that for many years as a young artist, you know, thinking I was doing something new, but I was really just mimicking yeah. somebody else, like yeah. uh, Wayne Thibault or whatever, I, I know that. But, uh, now it's just like no, I'm going with this. I don't. I, I. It comes from like a higher place, you know, that you know. And the risk is, I don't know where this is going, but I feel compelled to do it. Without my mind going, well, what about, you know, maybe this won't work. Just, it's something. It comes from a higher place when you know it's right and it feels risky. That's the key thing, and you got to go with the risk. As you've curated so many different artists, I would imagine you, you don't have favorites, but they're all kind of like children, almost like. The, the, exactly, you, yeah. You love them all equally, but for different reasons, I would think. Well, they yeah. represent different ideas. Yeah. And so where do you think art is going today? Where, where, what do you think? What do you think is next? Well, I think there'll be a slowdown now because of the, the, these extraordinarily high prices, and, uh, and, and it'll go, go more. Yeah. It hasn't even started, I don't think. And then I don't know who the next artist will be, but it, now that you've given me a thought, I'll think about it all night and uh, come up with something tomorrow because that, that is what is, we have to know what's next. Yeah. And I think we're, we're wrapping up. What do you want folks to know about you and what you've been able to do throughout your career and, and maybe the connections you've been able to connect people with? What do you want people to know about Could you? Could you help me with this? Well, throughout this colorful life, it wasn't just always just about Molly getting into where she no. wanted to get, because as a direct result, she was also bringing people together that wouldn't normally have the opportunity or even the ability to, to network with without it being under the guise of it's a networking. She has not just been a part of it for her own sake. Um, she's been very um, generous with not just her knowledge, but all her connections. She's never withheld anything from anybody. Everything that she has uh, been privileged to uh, come in contact with, or the people, or she never withholds any of it. She all, even if you hear her on the phone today talking about something or somebody, and she's talking to somebody else, she'll always say, oh, you have to meet this person, I'll give you their number. She's always been generous. She's never been a withholder. She's been extremely generous. And she also, you know, we didn't even touch on the fact she's always been teaching. She actually had the gallery over at the West Los Angeles Community College for some time up until the COVID uh, pandemic. She also taught, still I think has her class at Otis, right? Mm -hmm. Where she helps young artists learn about the art business and how to break into it and how to get started and where to even begin. You know, when you're leaving school as a professional artist or have an interest in an artist, not just as a um, artist, 
but also just at this opening. At this opening, there was a young girl here who was interested in getting into the art world similar to Molly, you know, into gallery management and understanding that whole world. She had the courage to, you know, ask Molly if that'd be okay if she got together. Molly goes, oh, absolutely. You know, I'd love to meet you. And this is just some young girl Molly's never met before. You know, it's she's an incredible blessing to all of us. Yeah, really generous. I mean, Thank that's you. just that's really how generous, I'd sum Molly. up Molly Barnes. Generous. That's fantastic. I I know we didn't touch upon it, but you've written books. I mean, yeah. and and so even your books teach, right? So you 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 really are a teacher, and you really have been generous with your knowledge. The and worst so, thing I think artists do are put themselves down. And you talk to artists right away, and I talk to a couple of them every day. And then they, they right away start putting them down. Well, you wouldn't really want to deal with me, but I, I love uh, what, and, and they go into this crap, you know, and I just say, don't, please don't bother me. I, I don't have that much time. Tell me about you. What's going on with you? Get, get to your own heart. And I think what he just touched on, which I was very flattered by what he said, I feel that that's important to stay close to your own feelings and you're talking out with a therapist or uh, something in, in the church. Find somebody to help you get who you are because uh, it's a waste of time. And artists are, are, are constantly putting themselves down so they don't look like fools, but they, it wastes, it's a waste of time. She helped me with that. Yeah. She I, would say, I would say something. She goes, don't ever say that again. I did it to you, too. You did. Don't ever say that yeah. again. That's negative. You did earlier today. And, and you know what? It's great advice. Yes. It, it really is. It's... Yeah, you're that, putting that, yourself a, down. But and but that's a blessing to be yes. told that you're you're worthy and that you're you know. Well, that's what I do in not, my class. And not yeah. to do that to no. folks. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. No. Thank you. Thank you, Molly. This has been a fascinating conversation. <laughs> it really has. And I just I really appreciate your honesty and your sharing with us and with our audience. And uh, you know, for those who are listening. I know we've batted around a lot of who's who names in the art world. And in researching you, I looked up and learned about a lot of artists that you had interviewed and come in contact with that I wasn't aware of beforehand. And I've really learned a lot through researching you. And I, I encourage our listeners to, as you hear these names, go back and look at some of these folks you've had an opportunity to work with and, uh, and that you've shared with people. So. Thank you for this experience. It's been Thank wonderful. Thank you. Great. That's great. So, Daryl, any parting words? Yes, for our listeners. Yes. I, if they really want to learn about artists, they could actually do exactly what you did and just Google Molly Barnes. Yes, and, yes. And watch her interviews. And our listen. you can listen, find old radio shows yes. she's hosted. And that's right. All that's available out there on the internet. That's right. And man, you'll get a, an interesting and uh, incredible education into the art world by just enjoying a lot of what Molly Barnes uh, has said and shared with us. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. No, that's fantastic. And so, well, I think that wraps it up for today. And again, Molly, thank you so much. Daryl, thank you for stepping in for Ron. And for our listeners, you can please reach out to us. If you like what you heard, give us a five-star rating. And uh, please find us on Facebook. Just search. How uh, do we at, find you? Well, you find us at I Was There. And so if you look up the I Was There podcast, we're on Facebook. You can email us at the I Was There podcast at gmail.com. And we like to hear from our listeners. And yeah, if uh, if you have questions, I'd be happy to forward them on to you, Molly, because an incredible wealth Thank of knowledge you. that you have. So, 
Yes, Molly could say just about everything in the last uh, 60 or so years of uh, the modern art uh, movement. She could literally say in every piece of it, I was there. You were there, Molly. You, you definitely were there. So. Where'd you get the name? You know, so many people that I've interviewed over the years, they talk about it and I always say, God, you were there? And they're like, yeah, I was there. And it just, to me, it's just, it's so wow, incredible. we could think that way and change our thinking, yeah. Well, and it's incredible to me to, as you tell your stories, to imagine you front row right there and seeing those things. And then by you sharing that, it puts us there. And so, you know, I mean, that's how people learn and, and that's how people experience new things. So everybody, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, we look forward to seeing you next time on I Was There. Until next time, take care. <laughs>